Guys, pray for me. I am in a house full of women, and uh, it's an adventure every single day trying to survive navigating all of their complex feelings and emotions because I'm a very sim- simple man. My wife's not agreeing with that. <laughs> but we all experience offense. And how many of you have ever experienced offense in life? Okay, everybody has. Now, there's two kinds of offense. There's intentional and there's unintentional. And we've both been offended either way. Matter of fact, I want to tell you a a story that happened this morning. My wife and I, now this is about 20 years of this happening. So, you know, my wife every Sunday has come up to me in the morning and she sabotaged and completely booby-trapped my life. And she asked me the dreaded question that has no true answer. She said, how do I look today? What do you think about my outfit? And, and I have tried 17 years, y'all, married, young married men, look me in my eyes right now. I have tried 17 years worth of answers and have failed every time. There, it, it's a trap. <laughs> and so, so this morning, now I have terrible eyesight and my wife comes in, it's early in the morning. I'm on Israel time because I've been in Israel the last week. I've been up since like 2 a.m. I have terrible eyesight. And she comes in and she asked me, well, how does this outfit look? And I thought she was wearing sweats. And then all of a sudden she came around the corner and she got a little bit closer and I saw that she had leather pants on and I laughed. Big mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. She, I, and she was like, oh, this is funny? I'm like, first of all, it's three in the morning. (laughs) Second of all, I'm like, Julie, my eyes are terrible. I thought you had sweats on when you asked me. In my mind, she had sweats on and she was saying, how do I look for church? And and then when she came around, she was in sweats. I was like, I got the whole situation wrong. And then I got it wrong again (laughs) because she was just like, what, you don't think I look good? I'm like, Julie, I love you. I'm madly in love with you. I, same thing. I'm like, I've been married to you all these years. I still want to be together. I think you look great naked. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> she just got her head down. <laughs> she's, so, she's here. She's like, I'm done. I am so done. And for years and years, she's been asking me, what do you think? I, I'm like, I married you to get clothes off of you. <laughs> is, is that the right answer? Did I just figure it out in front of a live audience? Somebody, I saw a man just take notes for the first time and he's never taken notes. I literally watched him go, yeah, that's good. (laughs) But you know, offense is one of those things where in Luke chapter 17, verse one, Jesus said to his disciples, it's impossible. Everybody say it's impossible. It's impossible that no offenses should come. But here's the thing. It's your peace. Therefore, it's your power. Everybody across all the campuses say this. It's my peace. So it's my power. That's why you have that phrase, keep the peace, because it's your peace. You have to choose if you give it away. And so nobody can take your peace unless you give it away. Now, I know you don't believe that because we're a generation of snowflakes and special individual 37th place trophy winners that that you hurt my feelings. You did it. But I believe something different. I believe it's my peace, so it's my power. And I have to choose to give you my peace or I can keep my peace. 
Does anybody here believe that you have the choice to keep your peace? And that you can actually choose how other people make you feel? I only got one AM, one amen, so I got a whole bunch of woke people here on Long Island. Somebody send security now. Okay, there's a few more amens. But okay, there's a couple more. Your peace is your power. Keep your own peace. I used to think that my wife had the power to take my peace, and that made my wife my enemy. But then when I realized that I have to give her my peace, I could choose to keep it. I remembered why I married her, to take her clothes off. That same guy just took more notes. <laughs> I'm trying to help you today. We live in a world that says, you offended me. No, you allowed them to offend you. You can only offend me if I'm offendable. Okay? You understand? I know who I am. You can call me bald on the internet. I think I'm sexy. Come on now, somebody. I got a wife. We're happy. I don't, she don't care that I lost my hair. You know, it's like you can say anything you want about me. Look at your ears. They're so little, but I can hear out of them. And Michael Jordan had ears that look like mine. And he won many championships. You know what I'm trying to say? But you can't fix your version of ugly because it's on the inside. You know what I'm saying? And so you can only be offended if you're offendable. It's my peace. It's my power. So Jesus said, you're it's impossible that you won't, that, that no offenses should come. And I love his wording. He says, it's impossible that no offenses should come. The, the thing that you have to determine is whether or not you receive them. Okay. And so can I go a little bit deeper? There's two assignments. We talk about demons. Uh, everybody loves, oh, Pastor Mike, talk about demons, honey. Right? Biggest attendance we have is the deliverance. Y'all need to get delivered from laziness and come to church every Sunday. I'm going to do, that's going to be the fake out, Nana Moses. I'm going to schedule a mass deliverance, but only cast out the spirit of laziness and greed. And that's it. And be like, all right, cool. I'll see you next week now that you're free of laziness. But here's the thing about it. There are two demons that will block your destiny and inhibit your, per, your, your purpose, and they are strife and they are offense. When my wife and I started this church, we said, what are the non-negotiables? And, and how, what are the things that we are going, the, the hill that we're going to die on, what are the non-negotiables? And we said, we, we said, we are not going to build a church off of negative people. When we are not going to build a church off of complainers, naysayers, naggers, whiners. I see you whining. Remember that song? I just took somebody back. We were not going to build a church off of complainers what? because I'm a Joshua. And if I'm going into Canaan, you're not telling me something new if you tell me how big the giants are. I want to know how big the grapes are. Oh, New York's hard and it's expensive. You know what? It's more dangerous to be outside of the perfect will of God than it is to... Come on, somebody. You're safer in a landmine field if God told you to walk through it than walking out your front door outside of the will of God. I don't need somebody to tell me, oh, you know, man, 
And so we said we are not going to launch a church and we're not going to sustain a church. If you complain and you're negative and you're a whiner, you'll hate our church. Did we not say that? And then the other thing is strife. But I got a problem. We built an entire church full of warriors. And the problem with warriors is they don't know when to stop fighting and they get so good at fighting, they kill each other. That's why no gang in America has ever overthrown the U.S. government because they usually end up killing themselves. And, and you know what I'm trying to say? It's, it's like where there's no unity. That's why God had to send confusion upon the Tower of Babel because they would have really built it to heaven. That's the power of unity. And so here's the thing. You got the devil unifying himself in rank and order, and literally Jesus confronts an army of demons, and they say, we are legion. And then you got some churches where you don't even like the person sitting next to you. And so the devil becomes more unified than most churches. And so strife and disunity and complaining and murmuring and nagging and negativity has no place in the perfect will of God. You've got to become free of offense so that you can fulfill the destiny that God has for you. Can I get an amen? Your ears are not garbage cans. Stop letting people fill them with trash. It's true. It's true. But it's my mom. Well, go get yourself a spiritual mom and set some boundaries with your biological mom and tell her you're programming me for defeat. I need you to learn how to speak faith. I'm not calling you out, mom. I'm calling you up. I don't, you're going to have to set some boundaries with people in your life. Some people in the church only have toxic codependent relationships built on gossip. And if they're not talking about another person, they don't have nothing to talk about. I challenge people like that. Hey, I love the fact that we're having dinner together. Why don't you talk to me about something other than a problem and a person you have a problem with? And then they, they're at a loss for words. <laughs> they're like, oh man, you're right. I don't have a hobby. I guess my hobby is tearing down the kingdom of heaven on earth. I guess my hobby is just prophesying demonic stuff about people instead of prophesying their purpose. Did you guys pick up what I'm putting down? Can I move on? Okay, so I want to show you an Old Testament and a New Testament parallel story. This revelation is profound, but all of you can receive this and learn this, whether you're new to the Bible or you've been in the game for a long time. But I want to show you that the Bible constantly echoes itself, and it constantly parallels, and it constantly cross-references itself. The Bible is the only perfect book that exists because it was breathed and inspired by God through man. Can I get an amen? I just offended a whole bunch of Christians. <laughs> so the Bible is cross-referencing itself. And these stories that I'm going to tell you about in Scripture, they are very profound and will help give you an insight into how God wants you to deal with offense. Now, whenever I ask you to take notes, it's because my expectation for this church if you attend it, is that you let me pastor you through the preaching and that you take the scriptures from the Sunday and you go a little bit deeper throughout the week. Now, if I just said that and you don't read the Bible Monday through Saturday, but you do listen to worship, you have been discipled incorrectly. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he did not fight Satan with a Maverick City song. He fought him with the word. He didn't say, devil, shout to the Lord on the 
He didn't say, this is how I fight my battle. Devil, this is how I fight my battle. You men look like I'm surrounded. <laughs> and you got a whole generation of Christians that can quote more lyrics than scripture. <laughs> if you're going, you, that's why I'm asking you to take notes. Read your Bible. He said, it is written. All right. And he wasn't talking about what Corey Asbury wrote. He was talking about what the Holy Spirit inspired. Come on, somebody. Okay. Can we, now let's jump in. Second Samuel chapter 10. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, I'll show kindness to Hanan's son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. David thought, okay, let's stop. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? It always starts with a thought. I just thought that I would say something nice to my spouse. Uh, you're wrong. It's World War III. Have you, ever, have you ever been in the middle of an argument and you're like, how did I get here? I thought we were going to be making out by now. So what happens is David had a thought and his intentions were good. He said his son Hanan his is now succeeding as king. What does this mean? The dad died. So now David as a king is becoming empathetic. He's saying that Hanan is coming into this position, which carries with it a tremendous responsibility. And he's also mourning the loss of his dad. So I will show him kindness. And now we know the story is about to get messed up from here. Can I just tell you that most churches split not over good versus evil, but rather good versus someone's ver someone else's version of good. Is that deep? Most churches do not split over evil. Most divisions do not happen because evil people against good people. It's everyone's varying degree of goodness, what they think is right, how they think it should be done. That's why we've got to understand what I'm going to show you in scripture. It says this, when David's men came to the land of Ammonites, so now this delegation is there to express sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. And David's men, imagine them as greased up, oiled up, ripped the sleeves off their shirt, muscle bound, stone cold killers, Harley Davidson, ancient Israel driving, riding psychopaths. Did I do a good enough job with that? David would have sent men that were men of war. He would have sent men that were de that delegates, but they would have represented the elite of his society. And so these men show up from a distance and the Ammonite commanders, plural, there's multiple commanders. They said to Hanan, their Lord, do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Are you, are you, am I making the scriptures come alive? And then here's, a, and then another commander goes, hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? Why did I do that? Fools love to hear themselves talk. 
That's why social media exists. Because someone was smart enough to said, what if I give the 99% of people who are fools a platform to look at their own post and think of themselves as wise? Scripture says, when you get to the end times, you'll know it because everybody's gonna think that they are the truth. That's how you get a phrase, my truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's the truth and there is the way. It's Jesus and what he says and let every man be a liar. The Bible doesn't say follow your heart. It says forsake your heart. It says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. But then it also says out of the abundance of that heart, the mouth speaks. The lion heart. Out of your lying, deceitful heart, out of the abundance of that deceit, your mouth speaks. Which is why most of what you read on social media is going to be garbage that blocks your destiny instead of substance that actually causes you to fulfill it. And the reason why I read the scriptures like that is because these men were informing the king, but they gave him foolish advice. You got to be careful who you're listening to in this next season, says the Lord, because God will actually cause your circles to change when he's changing your level. And it's sometimes there's two forms of deliverance. There's God removing the demons out of you, and there's God removing people out of your life who the demons have not come out of yet. And sometimes those people won't get deliverance, so God delivers you from those people. God will remove some people from your life and just say, thank you, Lord, that I didn't have to do it myself. Some people, you thought, well, they're disinterested in me, and why don't they call me stop feeling sorry for yourself you're getting ready to be promoted and they didn't call you back because you set a standard for your life and you're not about that drunk life anymore you're not about getting high anymore and so God is about to change your circles to change your level but you look at the king and they say hey, you know them, David you know pastor Mike doesn't even know your name why do you go to that church well, the apostle Paul didn't know the name of everybody he wrote the epistle to, but God was using him to lead people. And, and I'm sorry, but you left the 30-person church that you had a direct relationship with that pastor. So if that's your metric for a successful church, why'd you leave? It's foolishness. Fools. They say dumb things. I'm one of them. My wife's my, I have the Holy Spirit and my wife. I needed two people to tell me what not to post. <laughs> and when I don't listen to one, the other one, they team up on me. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will be like, you better take that down. I'm like, no, nah, it's good. That's probably not your voice. And then Julie's like, hey, didn't the Lord tell you not to do that? I'm like, so I'm saying this with empathy. This is not a condemning message. This is an encouraging message. You got to be careful who you listen to in this next season. Because he was saying, do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to own, explore the city, spy it out, and then overthrow it? So Hanan sees David's envoys. So now he, he takes action on the offense. The problem with offense is it is always connected to action. When you are offended, that offense will always turn into action. It will turn into one of two things. It will turn into fight or flight, okay? And you, and you gotta be careful. So these men, they were seized, and it says they shaved off half of their beard and then cut off their garments at the buttocks. Welcome back. I said buttocks in church. 
So imagine these mighty men of valor, stone cold war veterans returning with half a beard and their buttocks fully exposed. And they come walking back and David sees it. Now, the last time David talked to them, he said, show Hanan, the new king, kindness. And then David's looking at them from far off coming and sees that they are fully exposed to their buttocks and their beard, half their beard shaved off. Now, beard represents four things for your notes. Number one, it represents rank. Number two, it represents identity. Number three, it represents honor. And number four, it represents authority. Rank, identity, honor, authority. Rank, identity, honor, authority. Rank, identity, honor, authority. Rank, okay, do it with me. I'm trying to provoke you here, okay? Rank, identity, honor, authority. Rank, identity, honor, authority. Okay, that's good. Now, why did I do that? Every single one of you care about this. You care about your rank. You care about your status in life. What, am I in the lower class, the middle class, or the upper class? Am I popular or am I unpopular? Do people like me or do people not like me? Now, if people don't like you, and you're ignorant, you'll make excuses. Well, they're just not ready for my personality because I tell the truth. No, you're mean. You don't tell the truth, you're mean. <laughs> That's why they don't want to be with you, okay? And so you'll, you, but then the, why? Because there's, it's possible that you could be living in a prism called pain. Pain is a prism. It could be possible that, that the, the, the world that you're living in has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe you've said enough times people don't like you that when you interact with people, you do the things subconsciously that make them not like you. You get what I'm saying? Matter of fact, if you treat someone like they're going to hurt you, you might bias the relationship towards hurt. People play games, Julie. I'm not going to go to church for three weeks. And I'm going to see who notices. It's my second week. Here's another one. I was gone three weeks because I went on a European vacation. Well, I just try to figure out why someone would be gone three weeks. That's about the only acceptable reason. A European vacation. And, and it, sometimes they'll even, they'll, they'll even do the opposite. I was gone three weeks on a European vacation, and one of the pastors called me and asked where I was. Didn't they know that I love our church? Why are they questioning? So let me get this straight. One person's mad because you didn't call, and the other person's mad because you're skeptical and you called. Offense is something you have to receive. It sometimes has nothing to do with the person you're interacting with, but pain is a prism. And you will look through that prism and it'll color your whole world. Pain will make you like somebody you shouldn't be with. Have you ever brought someone home to meet your family? And they're like, woof, why would you like them? And you're like, they're dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> Am I too much today? I'm trying to deliver this 
in such a way because pain is a prism and it'll have you like in a bad boy who you know is going to use you, abuse you, chew you up and spit you out because your own father wounds would rather have you hugged by a bad boy like your dad was a bad boy, not realizing that there's some good righteous men that would pray for you, that would take you out and pay for it because they got a job, but you'll bring home some jobless, toothless... Because pain is a prism, and if you need some teeth, you come see me after service, because I'll help you out with that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> pain is a prism. I, I've, listen, you have no idea how many people hate me who've never met me. You have no, many, no idea how many people who've never watched one of my sermons all the way through have made whole videos about how I'm a false teacher. Because, why? Because they care about rank, identity, honor, and authority. And if I can dishonor Mike, maybe I can receive honor. If I can lower his rank, maybe mine will be increased. If I can take away his authority, maybe I can have authority. This is what we do to each other. It's toxic. You got people building entire personas off of what they're against. Why don't you build off of what you're for? Come on. Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn it. He said, I came into the world that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus didn't live his life in opposition versus what he was against. He came there for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And many of us, are we're, we're only against, but we're not for it's the chamber of justice and your heart's diseased. Can I give you some wisdom? Do you, got, do you have a few more minutes? Some things can't be solved by a post. They can only be solved by a prayer. Sometimes you're not going to be able to talk to your friends and get it all out and feel better. It's just gossip repackaged as a prayer request. Now I'm going to take this scripture so I just took you through the, just follow me, okay? I just took you through the Old Testament and you have this moment where David with the right intentions sent out his men. They come back missing a beard, half their beard and their buttocks exposed. And as they come from a distance, David looks at them and this is what he says. Hey, 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 guys, back down. I know you're upset. It's your peace, it's your power. I need you to go to this place don't go back and kill everybody and slaughter them. Don't go back to your friends and family and recruit them to your offense. Hello. Don't go, I'm gonna say it again. Rewind, don't go back to your friends and family and recruit them to your offense. You know, there's a lot of people that would have loved this church as if, if it wasn't for what you said about it. There's a lot of people who would love me as their pastor if it wasn't for what you said about me as your pastor. Matter of fact, can I take it a little bit deeper? You, your kids might actually love their father if you didn't talk that way about their dad. You, you get what I'm trying to say? Don't, don't you spread your offense. Come on, sometimes cut people, bleed on other people. You need to go to the hospital. Don't go to somebody else and bleed on them. I know I'm helping somebody. Don't put your, the blood from your church hurt on somebody who's never been hurt by the church yet. Come on, secondhand offense has killed more destinies than the offense that caused it. The devil, see, oh, this is revelatory. 
Jesus multiplies through disciples. So Satan is a counterfeiter and he will use offense to multiply demonic disciples. And you'll get people who would never show up to a connect group, but will show up to lunch to gossip. And you can't get them seated around the Bible, but you can get them seated around gossip. If that doesn't reveal the power of offense, I don't know what is. Oh, I went there, didn't I? Why am I saying all this? Because I want you to fulfill your destiny. I want you to fulfill your purpose. And if I could, if in this season, if I could teach you one thing, it would be what I'm teaching you right now. It's that important. It's that important. It's your peace. Therefore, it's your power. Okay. So he says, go to Jericho. In the original language, Jericho means the place of sweet fragrance. So what he was, what David was saying was, go to Jericho, go to the place of a sweet fragrance, go to the sweet place. Somebody just say, go to the sweet place. I know you want to leave your spouse, but don't think about going to your mama's house. Go to Jericho, go to the sweet place. I know you want to leave your church. Maybe before you leave, you need to go to Jericho. You need to go to the sweet place. I know you're thinking about leaving your job, but before you leave, maybe you need to go to Jericho. Maybe you need to go to the sweet place. It's not fight. It's not flight. It's the third way. It's called redemption. Somebody say redemption. Redemption happens. Now watch this. Hanan is the new king and he's hurting. He's hurting because his dad died. Then the men who come to show kindness, they, re- they get bled on by Hanan. Do you see this? Am I going too deep or are y'all following me? Are you with me? So then they get their beard shaved off, their butts exposed, hurting people, hurt people. And if, if the men that David sent out in the envoy would have went back and revenge and killed all these other people, there would have been a cycle of violence and offense. But someone has to be the redeemer. I'm hurting. I go to my wife. She says the wrong thing to me. I have a choice, fight or flight or redeem. I can run. I can bolt out that door. I remember that used to be my thing. I'm going to run out the door as fast as I can. That, something in my brain said, run out of the house. Or I can fight. I can throw stuff. I can make a mess. I can scream. And how many of you know that the loudest person is all, uh, often the dumbest person in the argument? When emotions are high, intelligence is low. Can I get an amen? And so it's not fight or flight. It's redeem. I remember when I finally figured out wait a second, I'm hurting. What if Julie's hurting too? And what if instead of bleeding on each other, what if we actually bandaged each other? What if we became the source of healing for each other? And see, David was operating in wisdom when he said, go to Jericho, go to the sweet place. I would love in our church if somebody comes to you and says, I'm mad. I've actually had people say this. People have told me, I left the church because because I've talked to them, where have you been? I saw them in the grocery store. Where have you been? I used to see all the time. I left the church because one day you walked past me and you didn't even acknowledge me. And I was like, I need glasses and I have the bladder of an infant. I have, I preached three services and I had to use the bathroom. I didn't even know that I did that to you. See how offense can so easily, but then in wisdom, I say, wait a second, they're hurting. If they needed me to acknowledge them that badly, maybe they've never learned how to receive the eyes of the heavenly father upon them. 
If they needed a personal, con- I have people, what kind of pastor are you? I commented on your video and you never commented back, but 13,000 people commented on that video. And if I commented back to all of you, I could never even interact with my own family. It would take me uh, all day and night. And so, but if you, in desperation, if you need somebody to comment back that much, that doesn't say anything about me. It says everything about how broken you are right now. And you know how I know that secret? because I used to be offended all the time. I used to be offended. Well, they don't know who I am. People who talk like that don't know who they are. Because when you know who you are and you know whose you are, you don't trip if people don't understand your value because you know your value. Amen? I want to read you just a few more things because I want to tie this now into the New Testament. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus is on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and casting lots, Jesus' clothes had been torn off of them. And they literally are, are, are just ridiculing and mocking him, but Jesus was unoffendable. And Jesus was going before the Father. Did you realize that the entire time Jesus was being crucified, he was in a constant dialogue with God the Father? Did you ever realize that? What if the entire time people are mocking and ridiculing you and talking down on you, you're in constant communication with the Father? As a matter of fact, in order to lash out and revenge and to speak a word about somebody, you have to actually stop talking to God to use your mouth to say something about them. But if you'll go back to God and say, God, what do you say about them? What do you say about this situation? See, Jesus had this heart of humility that said, God, forgive them. I'm not. Did you know that Jesus could actually have called legions of warrior angels to come down from heaven, remove him from the cross. He actually could have supernaturally healed himself and he could have slaughtered every single person mocking him. Do you know that? Jesus wasn't crucified because he was being forced to be crucified. Jesus willfully gave his life for you. That's the definition of sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice if it's forced. It's a sacrifice if you willingly give it. And so sometimes in marriage, there has to be a sacrifice where you choose to lose. Father, forgive him for he knows not what he's saying to me. I know he's speaking out of a wound. Sometimes you got to look at your boss and your employer like Jesus and willfully choose to lose. Everybody say choose to lose. I just gave you the secret to staying married. I just gave you the secret to staying rooted in the local church. Sometimes you got to say, God, they don't even know how they're hurting me, but there's a plan for me. Jesus knew on the other side of crucifixion is resurrection. If you don't believe that there's another part of your story, you'll be acting out for a long time. But if you know, can't nobody stop me because they didn't start me. You can say whatever you want to say about me. But before I was in my mother's womb, he started something that could not have been an accident. And so really, I can't be offended because God is a righteous judge and he'll deal with you. But I'm going to be submitted. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, The prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the crucifixion. And he said, I turn my back to those who strike me. And he's actually prophetically speaking as Jesus. And he's saying, I turn my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. Whoa. So the beard 
of the men from David is removed. And David says, go to Jericho, the sweet place. And now you have Jesus with his beard plucked out. And he's saying, I'm going to go to the sweet place called the cross where every sin is going to be forgiven. I'm not going to revenge. I'm not going to actually, I'm actually going to be praying for their forgiveness. I'm going to Jericho. Do you see this? But guess what happens? The beard regrows. What was naked? Jesus was stripped naked on the cross, but that's not his final destination. Upon the resurrection, he had been transfigured. He's in a robe of white, and all of a sudden, people see him like Mary Magdalene at the tomb, and he has to reintroduce himself because she didn't even know who he was. How many of you know you might be going through a season of offense now? You might feel naked and bare now. You might be stripped of your dignity. You might be stripped of your authority. You might be feeling like you're low, but how many if you know you don't stay at that place of crucifixion but if you join Jesus in crucifixion you join him in resurrection power and you're gonna have your beard back if you go to the sweet place somebody shout hallelujah come on stand to your feet across every location with me if you give the offense to God it becomes a prayer if you give it to your friends, it becomes gossip. Go to Jericho. Go to Jericho. How many of you are going to the sweet place? How many of you are going to the sweet place now? What if I told you that your father never loved you properly because he was never loved properly? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What if I told you that your spouse doesn't know how to treat you because they've never seen a healthy marriage before and they're just replicating the pain from their past but your offense is about to block your breakthrough you've got to learn how to go to this sweet place called Jericho what if I told you that even through broken vessels called jars of clay in the local church God will still reveal his glory what if I told you he'll use an imperfect pastor to pastor you if you'll receive what if I told you he'll use an imperfect connect group leader to disciple you what if I told you if you'll get over your offense what if I told you if you'll go to the sweet place you will experience a breakthrough in your life I'm telling you the truth y'all to all the deconstructing Christians you're deconstructing your faith because you served under toxic leadership your pain is it's valid but how you process it determines if you prolong it to all the spouses who were rejected and abandoned, to all the children of narcissistic parents, to all the employees of dictators, to all of the wounded friends of manipulators, how you process the pain determines if you prolong the pain. Blogging and social media posting might help you. It might make you feel better, but don't destroy marriage because your marriage was destroyed. Gossip might make you feel better and even comfort you to get it off your chest, but don't destroy the local church just because a few people in a church hurt you. We've gotta learn how to release offense and become unoffendable. It's not thinking about it. It's not talking about it. And it's not processing it that heals it. It's surrendering and submitting it to Jesus that heals it. Come on, listen to me. We live in a world 
the deconstruction Christians say, the more I talk about it, the more healed it becomes. The more conversations I have about it, the more healed it becomes. The more I blog about it, post about it, type about it, the more, the, the more healed it becomes. But that's the world's way of dealing with it. Come on, bring the music down. I want to show the church something. This is a water bottle. This water bottle is, was very easy for me to pick up. This water bottle is very light, but it says nothing about the weight and it says everything about the duration of time that I carry it. Right now I can hold it up before you very easily, but if I hold this for hours and hours and hours and hours, there's gonna come a time where I begin to shake under the weight of a very light load. And if I hold it sooner or later, there's gonna be a time where you see me barely able to sustain holding on to this little water bottle. It's not about the weight, it's about how long you hold it. What if I told you that there's little offenses that you've been holding for too long and you are struggling under the weight of something that is so easy to finally release? What if I told you, huh, what if I told you that the pastor that you need to unlock your destiny is here? I haven't given up on you even if you've given up on you. Don't let a offense block our relationship. What if I told you that the church family that you always wanted is right here around you, but you've been holding and you're telling stories from another church? What if I told you nobody cares? Not even your closest friend cares about your old church hurt story anymore. Matter of fact, at best, they just tolerate you talking about it. But if you ask them, hey, do you even care? They'd be like, I stopped caring years ago, but you keep telling the same story over and over again. And this is what you look like to them. I can't stand this water bottle. And they're like, let it go. Just release it. I used to think people cared about how tragic my past is. Guess what? They don't care because they have tragedy too. And there's such a tremendous freedom that comes from releasing it and saying, God, I have no excuses. Something amazing happened when you go back to the scriptures that I read to you. And we're gonna end on this and we're gonna begin to worship. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, David said, go to Jericho, go to the sweet place, let it go. What happened is when they released that burden, David mounted up his army and he actually took care of business. What if I told you that when you stop fighting the battle, you release God to fight the battle on your behalf? I'm talking to a church full of warriors. And sometimes the Bible says that the warriors in the Old Testament, they would fight so long swinging their sword that, that when they got home, their hand would, it said their hand clave to the sword. That means that they would try to let the, the sword go, but it would be stuck in that position. Some of you have been fighting for so long and you're such a good fighter that you don't know when to stop fighting. And you found, you're fighting your spouse like he's the devil. You're fighting your kids like, 
like they're the devil. You're fighting your employer like he's the devil. You're fighting church people like he's the devil. And I'm here to tell you, if you will release the battle, if you can let go of the sword that claved to your hand, that God will fight the battle on your behalf. You are not destined to fight people, but principalities and powers and rulers in high places. And sometimes you've been fighting for so long, you need somebody to tell you, go to Jericho, regrow your beard, cover your buttocks and recover and let me recover all. Is there anybody who's believing that God's going to fight my battle? What if I told you God's going to deal with it? What if I told you God's going to deal with that pastor? You don't have to deal with that pastor. What if I told you God's going to deal with your spouse in a way that you could never argue them into? What if I told you God's going to deal with your children? What if I told you God's going to deal with your family? What if I told you God wants to deal with your employer? What if I told you if you stop fighting the battle, God will fight on your behalf? He's Jehovah Nisi, Lord over my victories. Come on, somebody. Do you believe it? Shout hallelujah.